Alrighty guys, welcome back to Breakthrough Conversations. I'm joined by Dr. Jay West from Archetypal Alchemy. Thank you very much. Oh, pleasure to have to be here. Hey, um, you mentioned that you did your PhD in motivation. I did indeed. Wow, that's, that's the first person I met who's done a PhD in motivation. How does motivation work? What is it and how can we really embody more of it? Absolutely. So. I combine two uh, fields, so exercise physiology and health psychology, because I really believe both the mind and the body have messages to tell us. And so there was a particular framework that I worked with, which is called self-determination theory. People can look it up. Um, there's lots of research on it. Very, very fascinating. But it's the idea that we make all of our choices for on a scale. So it can be extrinsically driven. So that can be um, avoiding a punishment or trying to get some external reward. Or on the intrinsic scale, it's more you're doing it for yourself. There's an inherent enjoyment in the, the activity or the choice that you're making. And so there's no right or wrong. Like It's not like everything has to be intrinsically motivated. But in terms of behavior change and creating sustainable change in your life, mm. the more we start to bring in more of this intrinsic motivation, it becomes less of a chore and a to-do list and more of a um, sense of identity or integration into yeah. oneself. And so there's three things that you need to move and shift things from more extrinsic into intrinsic motivation. So first of all is autonomy. So we need to reclaim our choices for us and do things for us. So whether it's doing dance or whether it's um, learning a new framework or the work that you're in at the moment, whatever you're doing, do it for you. And you might wanna, might wanna write out a list of why you do what you do. Second is competency. Um, and so, like I use it in the context of um, like exercise. Some people will go into a gym and even for me, sometimes I look at the equipment these days and I'm like, wow, it looks like I'm gonna go into a like, spaceship or something. Like yeah. I have no idea how to use this stuff. Mm. Um, and so we can apply that concept to dance as well. It's like you see videos on YouTube or Instagram and things like that and you're like, how do I get from where I am right now, especially if you've had no dance experience, to these people that seem really confident and really competent in what they mm. do. And so that's where the competence level is one, practice, but also two, recruiting in the people that are really gonna support you in feeling more confident and competent in what you do. The last thing is relatability. And this is where we look at finding a tribe, you know, finding people that are on a similar journey to you that can relate to some of the struggles um, and the triumphs that you can go through and celebrate that with you. Um, it can also mean that in terms of behavior change, looking at someone who's been in a similar situation to you and has maybe got to somewhere where you want to be. Because I give the example of a supermodel giving weight loss advice. It's like if you are built or, or born with a certain body type, um, there's going to be some people that resonate with that story and that, that body shape. But for some people, it's too far disconnected from where they are mm -hmm. to be able to really feel relatable to their story. So it's like find someone who has a similar story or a similar journey or belief system to you and has, has um, not necessarily mastered it, but taken the steps to overcome that. And that's where we start to move our motivation into intrinsic. Wow, wow. What motivated you to complete your PhD and go through that whole process of the education and uni and everything like that, <laughs> as well as dancing and working at the same time? Absolutely, it's a great question. I have to laugh at myself because it was definitely a journey. I remember they told me 
um, when I first started that 70% of people that start a PhD will drop out. Mm. And I've always been very determined. Like I'm very headstrong. Mm. And I was like, no, I won't be one of those numbers now. I nearly left multiple times. Because oh, wow. um, at the same point, backtracking, like I did the same degree as my dad at the same university, but majored in my mom's passion of health science. Oh, okay. Like I actually, after school, I wanted to be a dancer because I'd got so much identity and accolades around being a choreographer for the school, getting top dancer in year 12. Um, you know, there was so much affirmation to be like, you are a dancer. So I was like, oh great, I'll go over to the UK, I'll be a professional dancer. And my parents were like, no, 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 go get a degree first, and then you can do your creative um, pursuits, which in hindsight, mm. I actually really love that they did that because- You may never came back, right? Pardon? You may have never came back to uni. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But also it allows me to look at dance from multiple different layers now, not just technique based, but yeah, just a wealth of physiology or psychology knowledge as well, mm. which I can infuse into it. Um, so it wasn't until, so I did the whole degree, uh, sorry, my undergrad and my honours um, in physiology and more like sports and exercise and nutrition. And when I went to do the PhD, I just knew that there was something more than just the body. Like I really wanted to get into the psychology of why we make the choices that we make. Mm. And then when I learned about the self-determination theory, that was that aha moment for me of like, wait a minute, am I doing the PhD because like I've created some for, like form of expectation that my parents think I'm supposed to do it? Or am I doing it because I really want to do this and at the same time yeah as you mentioned like I was dancing in the nightclubs choreographing for drag queens like I had a dance career external to me and um, in 2014 helped um, Peter Sharp start the Liberators nice. and had the opportunity to tour Europe um, and then in 2016 the US with Pete and it was this reflective moment of I had to create a full sense of accountability for my choices. Mm. And when we're talking about autonomous, so the first thing that makes anything more intrinsic, I had to reclaim why I was doing the PhD and if I was gonna finish the PhD. So I went to my parents, I went to like my PhD supervisors, my friends, anyone that I thought could have any element of expectation for me finishing the PhD. And this was about three quarters of the way through. Um, so the PhD took six years, but um, yeah, it was about four, four years in, or so four and a half years in, wow. that I was like, oh, I'm having so much fun dancing and doing liberator stuff and creating these events that are so rooted in connection and authenticity. I need to take six months off to actually figure out if I want to finish the PhD you know, relinquish or any expectation externally and do mm. it for me. So it was actually a blessing that I got to learn about this framework and then literally implement it into my life straight away. Wow. And so I took six months off, um, just immersed at that point, um, was touring the US with Pete. I did um, an experiment in New York where I blindfolded myself in Times Square um, and in one hand I had scissors, in the other hand I had shaver, uh, and I had a sign saying, um, beauty isn't dependent on your external appearance. Cut or shave off a part of my hair to support this message. 
and sat in public until like the, they shaved my hair off. And so for oh, me, you're completely bald after that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So it's on YouTube if people want to see it yeah, and see what yeah. I look like bald. Um, but for me, it was this like complete um, shedding of like, cool, what's the identity I've created of who Jay is or who Jay's supposed to be? Mm. And start from the get go. Um, and then went straight to Hawaii after that and was just like, just sitting with myself and going on this journey and this process of who do I want to be or who do I want to become? And it just kept coming back reoccurringly that I didn't know what the reason was and I didn't see myself necessarily going into academia, um, but there was something about finishing what I'd started, whether that was the content, whether it was also, there was a part of me that was like, if I'm really honest with myself, finishing the PhD and having a doctor title does create an element of influence and if yeah. I'm up to big things in the world and in my mind I want to be a bridge like I want to I love these like esoteric principles like I started yoga when I was seven wow. um, and there's like so much in the I would say spiritual community that I really really resonate and I think so beautiful and likewise I also have been deeply in the academic world and the science world and I want to like be a bridge between the two to say, hey, both of them are just as valid. Um, mm. And this can actually be more of a communication that occurs between the two, like the body and the mind actually True. need to be, you know, validated yeah, yeah. in both of them having wisdom. When you're bridging spirituality with, um, with science, mm. do you actually believe that we actually, um, we find what we're looking for? That we set out to do a study or do a, some kind of um, reviewed article we will actually find and confirm our own biases? Does that actually happen? Oh, no. Uh, I created a whole, my whole proposal. Um, uh, I created a theory and it, it didn't turn out. It was oh, like, really? I had to re after the first experiment, it was like, okay, that's not what we found then, wow, okay? okay cool. So it's the, the thing with research and science, which is so um, different to maybe how we learn science in school is like, these mm. are the facts, memorize and, and wrote, learn it. Mm. When we come into research, we're really invited to be this like child of curiosity again, of go, I actually, like I can take in all of the information, create a theory, but I have to be open enough to realize that none of it might be true and be mm. at peace with that. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is actually just a really nice mindset for life of like, how much do we attach ourselves to wanting something to be certain and wanting mm. something to be valid? And instead, can we just come from this sense of just like curiously looking at the world mm. and then, you know, receiving what we that, need to. That sounds beautiful. Um, questions regarding to motivation. Mm. Some people say that motivation doesn't actually exist. It's just discipline and willpower. And then some say, no, there is actually <coughs> something that takes a hold of you and keeps you moving. Mm. What is your take on that? Like, is motivation a real thing or is it more just we're just training ourselves? So, yeah, I think it depends on the... The context. So the way that you've just worded it in there is like the first one of like willpower and things like that. Mm. Yes, that's true if you're in extrinsic motivation mm. because you have to, you actually deplete yourself and your sense of motivation over time. So that's kind of like if someone's going on a diet, they're emotionally trying to regulate themselves. They don't like their work and they actually want to quit, but they're not telling mm. anyone. It's all drawing from this same resource of self-control. Sure. And so over time that is going to be draining and so there is willpower there that's needed mm. however 
when we're in the intrinsic motivation and we're doing something for a sense of joy, it is kind of inherently fueling you. And mm. so once the process has started, like it might be a struggle to start it, but that's one of those um, moments where you feel that deep calling of like, I have mm. to action this. And then once you start actioning it, it's just like a snowball effect of you go down this rabbit yeah. hole because it could be that you're sitting more in the intrinsic motivation and the action of doing something that you love mm. makes makes that, more that, that makes more, more sense yeah finally got it yeah 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 <laughs> i was thinking Great like more from like the soul and who you are add into your work which doesn't need any motivation well that is motivation so to speak but absolutely i've always found like people like in self-help or business development managers and things like that always talking about no it's just willpower discipline there is no motivation doesn't exist but in a way they may be very intrinsic mm. um, sorry what extrinsic extrinsic that's the word yeah for, yeah and so there will be status and money rather than what they really love and enjoy, and they've lost that connection to themselves. Yeah, and mm. I mean, sometimes when you're starting behavior change, starting with extrinsic motivation mm. is the catalyst to get things moving, and then you can start to shift into intrinsic motivation by mm. creating more of this like autonomous, this competency, and this relatability. Then you can start to shift into it. So, so it's not like I don't want to demonize extrinsic motivation because sometimes we really need it and yeah. we need that little push start. Mm. Um, but it's about how do we, in terms of sustainability, incorporate things that we love as well. Yeah, absolutely. Can you tell us about, a little bit about the erotic blueprints mm. that you've gone into? Yeah, so that's what, uh, another one of those frameworks. Like I am like a moth to like a flame mm. when it comes to roadmaps of understanding ourselves. So the PhD was one, archetypal alchemy, the dance um, framework that I created is one, mm. um, and the blueprints is another one. So this is a roadmap of understanding how we're wired for pleasure. Mm. So I studied with Jaya, who's the founder, in uh, 2020. And um, what it does is, Part of it, what we're no, well known for, is the blue, the blueprint types. Mm. And so there's five, five different blueprints, kind of like Gary Chapman's five love languages, okay, yeah. but for the arousal rather, rather than just love in general. Okay. Um, so I'll overview each of the five different blueprints because people can often feel those aha moments of understanding where miscommunication occurs because mm. you could just be speaking different blueprints, which is kind of like speaking different languages sometimes. True. So the first uh, blueprint is an energetic. Okay. And energetics get aroused by anticipation. It's about the tease, it's the build-up, and feeling the subtleties of a connection with someone that goes beyond the physical. Mm. So superpowers for them is it's not just about like physical touch. There's something so like intangible, but so arousing for them. Mm. And they're so guided. So sometimes these people don't necessarily have a, a, a type. It's just, it's beyond what they can rationally think about. They're just drawn to a certain person. Okay. Um, they're also very, very empathetic. Mm. One that like they'll know what their partner like needs or when if they allow themselves to deeply drop into it, they'll just know where to touch, where to move, how to be. So mm. they're just like this syncing up to their partner and completely merging um, to the point where they can experience their partner's pleasure or their lover's pleasure just as much as their own pleasure. Wow. The shadows of that though is when you're so connected empathetically to someone else you can start to take things quite personally because your partner might come in from you know work and they might be in a bad mood for something completely different and then 
all of a sudden you're taking it personally of like, oh, maybe they're not as attracted to me anymore. Maybe they've lost interest. Maybe mm. I'm too much. Maybe, you know, the, all this well, like story. Like anxious attachment sort of. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, all sorts yeah. of um, different thoughts can come up. Or in the bedroom, it could be if, if someone's um, mind is somewhere else and distracted, they can start to think, oh, maybe I'm really bad in the bedroom. Maybe I have no idea what I'm doing, like, and get really mm. self-conscious. Yeah, yeah. So... So that's the shadow. The other side of the, the energetic is they can short circuit if there's too much sexual energy. Um, I forgot to ask, can I swear on the... On oh, yeah, of course. Okay, cool, cool, cool. <laughs> just yeah. like before I just go jump, in, jump into it. Um, uh, so like if an energetic, if, if someone comes in, say you're at a bar and someone comes in straight away, it's just like, you're hot, I want to fuck you. It's like, whoa, like where was the connection? Where was the foreplay? Where was mm. the like bonding? You can't skip the steps, right? No, exactly. Mm. Um, versus some, other, the, some of the other blueprints would be like, wow, look at that confidence. That's really inspiring. I like that and be magnetized mm. to that. But the energetic will short circuit if there's too much, um, too much sexual energy. So that can be verbally with like the courting phase or yeah. it can be physically. So if you're going straight to genitals rather than like warming up the rest of the body. Makes sense. And then the last bit with the energetic in terms of shadow, which I always find is quite important to articulate, is that um, the, the energetic, because they're so invested in someone else's emotions because they can feel it so deeply, mm. they often early on in life have had to say no to someone or reject someone and then they've felt the hurt and the pain of someone else and they've remembered that and so later on they're like, oh, well, I don't want to say no to people because I don't want to feel the hurt and pain of someone else. Yeah. And so they start to blur their like maybes or their no's and start to make them yeses when they mm. probably should be no's or maybe not just right now. It's hard for them to voice their opinion or hold up boundaries. Absolutely. Boundaries, yeah. perfect. You hit the nail on the head. So it's okay. like over time they lose trust in themselves. They then also don't know what brings them pleasure versus you know, what brings their partner pleasure. Yeah. So for them, there can be this really big um, uh, learning curve of like how to reclaim pleasure for themselves again. Mm. So that's your energetic. Your next is your sensual. So sensual. these are the people that love all their senses being indulged. So straight away, they'll be like, it'll be the people that come in for a cuddle straight away. They're very tactile. Mm. Or you walk into their house and everything is beautiful and immaculate and they're mm. wearing furs or silks and yeah, really nice. beautiful things. So they have an eye for aesthetics, both externally and like how they present themselves as well. Mm. They're also like in terms of senses, they might have really nice, yummy smelling oils or like massages and really drop into the senses. Yeah. And that's because um, their senses that is their pathway for pleasure. So they want to be able to drop into it. For them, it's very much about the connection and the journey with someone. It's not an outcome of getting to orgasm. It's just getting quality time with their mm. lover, with their partner. So whether that's cuddling on the couch together or sharing a beautiful meal or cooking a meal together, it's that nice, deep quality time. Mm. Um, then the the shadow, oh, sorry, if I'm, if I'm categorizing the blueprints as movies, you'd think of the central as your typical rom-com. So it's very like mm. you buy them flowers, buy them the, the woman chocolates, the, you know, the mm. man's like in a suit and well-dressed and very yeah. suave, so charismatic. Um, so that's kind of your central. Mm. Now, everyone has different takes of central as well. So I'm just taking that to the extreme yeah, yeah, so course. people can understand. 
Um, the shadow of, of the sensual though is that if you're not in your body, which is your gateway to pleasure through your senses, you're in your mind. Mm. And so with the mind, it can be extrinsically um, driven, um, the, oh, sorry, not I'm thinking about motivation, external things or inter internal things. So external things can be, you can be really, really stressed. And so for essential, having to think about like sex or intimacy when they're stressed, like that's another to-do list for them. It's just overwhelming. Mm. Um, it can also be distractions. So say um, like right now, if I can hear the aircon or if I could, like if there was people outside mm. making noise or the perfect example that I give is with my partner. If we're listening to beautiful music while we're being intimate mm. and a song comes on that I'm like, Oh, I don't want to listen to this song right now. Like essential, it. yeah, essential will be so distracted by that versus mm. the other blueprints, which is like probably won't even be paying attention. True, true. Versus the essential, being aware that that's going to be a shadow and just being able to name it. So now, if if that's going to distract me, it's like cool. I just turn the the, the song, boom, done. Yeah. Versus in the past, I would have been like listening to the song and being like, oh, I hate this song, like. Oh, I think it goes for about three and a half minutes. All right. Uh, okay. I, well, I just wanted to hurry up. Why isn't it going faster? Meanwhile, I've, I've lost three and a half minutes where my partner's trying to pleasure me. Like, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. you know. And then if they're especially energetic, or if they're sensing that you're disconnecting and going into your mind, they could be going into story of like, oh, maybe I'm not doing it right. Mm, maybe you shouldn't wow. like me. You know. So there's all this all like from a simple song. Exactly. Wow, so and not knowing our shadows. True. True. Um, so choose your playlist carefully. <laughs> or just know it just know like yeah. what's going to come up and to the point where you can just giggle at it now rather than True. being like going into story or being mm. distracted by it so that's essential um oh sorry that and then, then the internal things that can bring you into your mind and not your body biggest one i see is body image um okay. both like for male presenting and female presenting bo mm. both have can have hang-ups of you know, am I big enough? Am I like beautiful enough? Am I thin mm. enough? Um, and it can take us out of the experience of pleasure with a partner um, mm. and being adorned for the body that we have. Uh, so that's more of the, and then the other one for internal things is the expectations. Mm. Big one being, do I need to orgasm? And I like, I see women place a lot of expectation on themselves of, um, you know, they can receive a certain amount of pleasure and then there seems to be this invisible line in the sand that all of a sudden if someone's been giving you a lot of attention and pleasure and you haven't orgasmed, it goes into, oh, they're spending too much time on me now. Oh, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm going to come. I'm, uh, like, mm. I, I'm taking up too much time. What are they going to think? They're going to be disappointed. Da -da 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 -da, down the rabbit hole. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's about relinquishing the expectations or naming if there's expectations now um, w with a partner. So that's the shadow side of, of the sensual. So your next one is your sexual. And this is how we stereotypically see sex. Um, maybe more so from the like a male identifying perspective uh, because it's very visually stimulated. So think nudity, um, think penetration, um, very orgasm focused as well, which people can give a bad rap to, you know, mm. they think that that um, because you're sexual, it means you're superficial, but actually it's nothing to do with that. It's that you're so in, um, in touch with those primal instincts to be physically and intimately close with another person 
and also be visually stimulated, there's, there's actually a lot of like beauty and almost mm. innocence in that as well. And when we start to like flip the, the stories that we have of, of someone really showering us with love and appreciation for our body, it can actually be quite a like um, compliment. If mm. someone's like, wow, yeah, I really wanted to like, have sex with you. It's yeah. like, oh, that's a really big compliment actually. Um, so the sexual, in terms of superpowers, uh, they can have uh, like go from zero to 100 very, very quickly. Yes. It could be just like taking a shirt off, boom, like their minds going mm. down rabbit holes right, of yeah. like um, playtime. So it can be like very, very fun in yeah. terms of both males and females um, and um, non-identifying as well, I should say. Um, they can orgasm multiply. Um, and it's, there's like an, uh, an interest and an intrigue for everyone and all the different ways that we can um, orgasm and explore orgasm. Mm. They see human bodies as like beautiful. It doesn't matter. It's not about being like model perfect. It's just an appreciation for the human form yeah. and being able to just like shower it with love and attention. Sure, yeah. Then the shadow side of the sexual though is that... Um, they can be more at a tr uh, predisposition for feeling a sense of failure when there is an orgasm mm. because they have so much love for orgasm and seeing their partner orgasm. If they haven't come or if their partner hasn't come, they can almost feel like they've failed their partner or their something's mm. missing. Um, the sexual is also like life is not sparkly and fun if there's not like intimate inter interactions happening. Yeah. Which, so for them, like even the simple difference of a sexual will relax by having sex and intimacy versus mm. essential needs to relax first. So sometimes mm. if you can see your partner's being stressed, a sexual will come in being like, cool, let's be intimate and relax together. Mm. But then if their partner's sensual, it's like, what are you doing? You're just adding more to my plate. Yeah, okay. And so it's understanding that, oh, maybe what I need to do is give a back massage first and then they might like relax. And then if like sex is on the cards, then it will mm. naturally start to unfold from that. Um, but there can be that fixation on orgasm for the sexual. And it's about rewiring what does sex actually mean? Mm. Can pleasure be more than just like orgasm or penetration as well. Mm. Um, that intimate moments can occur in so many different ways. Yeah. Your fourth is your kink or kinky. Um, and so kink are, it's really interesting. So the way that Jaya defines kink is anything that's taboo for you. So for one person having sex before marriage because they've grown up in a religious family could be an element of taboo. Mm. For another person, it's, how we might stereotypically think of kink, which would be BDSM um, and role play, mm. fantasy play, things like that. Okay. Now we divide it also into psychological and physical because people can be either or both. So psychological being, um, they might like playing with power dynamics. It might be uh, role play, fantasy play, erotica. Mm. The physical side of things is like they might actually like the sensations of say like scratching or spanking or impact play mm. um, 
or yeah, choking or restriction. Shibari is another one as well. I don't know what shibari is. What, what is that? Oh, shibari. So shibari is um, uh, a rope tying. So oh, okay, yeah. Yeah. They would like hang from the ceiling and they have different kind of rope type. Okay. Yeah, yeah. it can either be hanging or it can be on the ground. Um, there's some incredible um, people in Perth doing doing shibari and bringing it over um, okay. and kind of bringing it. Now I won't go too much into it because I. I, I don't want to um, seem like I, I yeah. have a lot of information in this area. I mm. do collaborate with a shibari artist where they okay. have all the expertise and I incorporate it. So there's a little bit of knowledge there, but okay. um, yeah. yeah, there's. I think I've seen it now that you mentioned it. I yeah. didn't, didn't know the word. Yeah, shibari. Yeah, shibari. Um, or kumbaku is the other one that people kumbaku. sometimes use as well. Okay. So um, yeah, if you're interested, then definitely look up, or I can give you some mm. resources in that That's that cool. area. Um, so so in terms of the superpowers of the kink. Kink are so creative. Mm. Like they'll be like looking at everything and everything and being like, oh, what would that leaf feel like to touch or stroke on mm. the body? Or like, what temperatures can I play with? Or what like fantasies or, or places that can I take the mind and imagination? Mm, okay. So you're probably going all that between pleasure and pain and different. So many, yeah. So yeah. so for a kink, that's another good reflection point. Is some people are pleasure um, within the the kink realm. Some are. Um, Pleasure driven, some are, are like punishment driven. Okay. It's not that it has to be like pain within kink. It, it mm. could be um, having someone just tell you what to do because mm. you make choices um, throughout the day and you're kind of just exhausted and you want someone else to make the choice. Okay. So that's where you're playing with power dynamics yeah, as well. Yeah, so cool. there's such a like a spectrum and a range. Um, it doesn't have to go straight to what we might perceive as as the extremes. Yeah, like, there's yeah. so much um, range in there. Um, in terms of other superpowers, they're also very, very good at consent conversations okay. and finding and using their voice because mm. they're having to do it on the daily. They're having to have, have full accountability for their pleasure, what their boundaries are, mm. and communicate that with someone else. So often, um, like so energetics can sometimes use kink to actually rewire and find their boundaries again because okay. they're, they're in, a, in a space to be encouraged to actually find their voice again and celebrate finding their voice. Um, not always, yeah, not, yeah. not everyone's drawn, but there, it is something that I've, I've witnessed and noticed. Like dating different people within different categories would really help you to, you know, expand on and assert boundaries and that kind of stuff would be, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and all of them have their superpowers and shadows. Mm. It's, so it's, it's, and we all have access to all of them. Even, well, actually, I'll come back to that because otherwise I'll yeah, go down a different right. rabbit hole. Um, uh, the the shadows of the kink, though, is shame and guilt. It's mm. it's out of all the blueprints, it's probably the one that we don't talk about as openly. Um, it's starting to, to come into the mainstream, which is beautiful to see. Some mm. people are really standing up and, and talking and communicating about what does kink actually look like because... Mm. The thing is, when it's hidden, because for a long time it was hidden, it's like it's in the dungeons, it's behind yeah. closed doors. And when it's hidden away, it means people will make assumptions and judgments on things that they don't know. Versus as we start to bring it out into the open and go, hey, this is actually what it is or what it might look like. Mm. It allows that the the mind to actually go, oh, okay, like I resonate with that, or maybe mm. I don't resonate with it, but then there's a sense of choice rather than just making up stories of what you think it might be. True. 
Um, they can also be because there's like fetishes in the, the, the kink realms or things that you might enjoy. Sometimes it becomes all consuming. It's like you only want this one particular position um, on a particular day of the week and like, like OCD you know, coming into it. Yeah. An element of it. Um, I mean, yeah, so it can just become very specific, which then limits our capacity to hold and, and be in pleasure if mm. we only want one specific thing. Um, so they're, they're your four, the, and then the fifth one is shapeshifter. So that's you use all four pathways okay. as, as a pathway to pleasure. And it's kind of, Jaya believes, and I also got to this mindset, is that we might actually come in as shapeshifters when we're born, and then through our life, our conditioning, so positive or negative, positive mm. being you go on your first date and you're holding hands with someone and go to the movies and, you know, sensual becomes very, very safe and fun mm. to explore versus the first time you ever go out to a nightclub and a very drunk, sleazy person comes on and is not tactful and very mm. in your face. And then all of a sudden sexual becomes like, bad connotations yeah. you don't want to go there so all of these different blueprints are in us and and we've created different judgments or different experiences based on each of them um so a big one for women as well is like uh, sexual is like you're a whore or a slut mm. and so I, i'm seeing this big um revolution really happening of women reclaiming their sexuality and just mm. being like i'm a sexual being i want intimacy i want to be able to like feel in my power yeah. and likewise i've like you know for male identifying it's like if you're too in touch with your emotions or the energetics and the empathy of being with someone else mm. if you're too in touch with that then you're too emotional you're a sissy or there's all these other stories that come up True. versus yeah. or you're only in the friend basket like if you're too in touch with sensual and, and energetic mm. you'll be friended rather than like yeah. partnered that's true i'm very energetic and sensual looking at these now but i could shapeshift so hopefully that's what i can do in the future <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely yeah. so it's just finding the combination that can be like celebrated rather than than shamed and you can see like there's probably so many people out there like especially men that have been energetic and sensual not felt like they could be that their whole life mm. and felt like they almost have to act to be this like sexual bravado um type of person and if that's not authentic then people will sense that and feel that mm. rather than allowing the free flow and usually when we then drop into our own individual expression some of the other things will naturally come in rather than forcing True. forcing anything so yeah, shapeshifter obviously have all of the um, mm. superpowers, but also also all of the shadows of all of them, plus a couple extra. Um, a couple extra. Yeah. Okay. So for the shadow, because what can happen is when you're a shapeshifter, what turned you on yesterday might be really annoying the next day. And, and the example I give of this one is that really light, because each of the blueprints have different touch styles. Mm. So for an energetic, it's that really light touch, like almost like a feather. And so one day it could be so arousing and the next day it's like, that feels like ants crawling on me. Yeah. Stop it. I relate to that, actually. Yeah. Sometimes I relate to them, the other times it's just like, just stop it. Just yeah. Stop it. Yeah. There's that irritation there as yeah, well. Yeah, I get that, yeah. So that's that shapeshifter coming in of like, mm. maybe it's the sensual that wants more of a cupping and caressing and stroking technique yeah. rather than that really light, um, mm. energetic touch. So when we realize that we might be fluctuating in nature, we can ask for what we need a little bit 
better um, and be able to communicate that with a with a partner. It can also be confusing for oneself of like, oh, what turned me on yesterday doesn't turn me on the next day, and your partner doesn't really know what's happening either. And so, like, it could just yeah. become very very confusing uh, to navigate. Mm. Um, Trying to think, there was another one with shapeshifter, but I'll leave it with that because I feel like that I've gone yeah. on, on a little little tangent. I can I can talk about the blueprints for, for like hours because yeah. there's so many tangible experience of mm. how connection and intimacy with someone else can just break down because you're speaking different blueprint languages. True, yeah. Awesome. How do you actually work with these blueprints in your work and in dance and in your workshops? So the blueprints. Um, so sometimes they're completely separate and sometimes they're, they're naturally interweaving. Mm. Typically what I would do, because um, the actual framework of the erotic blueprints is very comprehensive. So just talking about the different blueprints sometimes gives people an aha moment already. Mm. Um, and then they can start to integrate and I can work with people in terms of what words they use, how to communicate, how to make sure that they're feeding their own blueprint so they're not expecting their partner to feed everything all the time. So mm. it's like if, if there's a sensual and your partner's not giving you a massage every night, you know, either book yourself in to go and get a massage or go take yourself out on a date day and mm. have yummy coffee and chocolate and adorn yourself so that you're already feeling full and then anything else that's received is like just a cherry on top. Yeah. So I work with people in terms of coaching. I work with people um, in workshop spaces because sometimes the potency of storytelling and hearing other people comes back to the relatability side mm. of things. Hearing other people going through different struggles because we don't always, especially in couples, or actually with singles as well, we don't always talk about what's not working mm. and we go for solving problems rather than identifying what's not working first and then allowing that to naturally unfold and for the path forward to arise from acknowledging what's not working first. True. Um, the other thing that I do is panel discussions. Okay. And so this comes back to the idea that sometimes information is power and hearing people and their individual journeys allows us to minimize any judgment that we might create. Um, mm. un like sometimes subconsciously without even realizing. And so I get speakers in each of the four different blueprints. So there's five blueprints, but Shapeshifter is all of them. So I typically get four, so energetic, sensual, sexual, kinky. Mm. And there's particular activities that we can do that will feed each of the, the blueprints. So energetic, for example, breath works, yoga, um, uh, kundalini awakening. It's all the energetic wow. practices. These are in your workshops. Um, this is in the, the I don't, I don't facilitate these, these ones. Oh, sorry. The, I facilitate the discussion and the panel discussion. Okay. So I'll have a speaker on each of these. There are some things that I do interweave. So mm. I run as of uh, tomorrow, actually, um, I'm running couples nights with my partner because I do do tangible mm. exercises. So it might be like creating a container for people where they can do eye gazing, where mm. they can, they have someone else holding them accountable for creating this container of safety. Beautiful. Your um, essential could be things like contact dance or, or like tango or slow dance together. It's mm. being close or even free form movement of finding your own groove and your own flow listening to music more. It's like if you've gone through a whole day and not listened to any music, it's like, ah, oh, for essential, that could be, you know, robbing the soul or something yeah. so, so empowering. 
It's like, how do I incorporate music more? Mm. How do I adorn myself with some beautiful things? Um, like I've had people on my podcast, sorry, podcast, on my panel discussions mm. that do like sensual meditations or sensual movement. Oh, beautiful. Um, sexual can range. Um, I've had people uh, on there, Paris, um, who does like has, has facilitated lap dance before. Mm. So it's it's creating space for the sexual blueprint to be celebrated yeah. and reclaimed. Um, and then the aim is to get like sexologists on there. They can talk about the logistics. I haven't had. I've, Used to have a housemate as a sexologist. We just haven't had her on the on the panel yet. Oh, really? But that's the type of people that I cool. would invite into that kind of space. Uh, and then the last one, um, you know, it could be writing erotica or starting to read a bit more erotica for a kink, mm. or going to a shibari workshop, or um, uh, on sacred ground is an amazing um, kink space in in Perth, which educates people yeah. um, on the safety. Because that's the one thing with kink is it's out of the blueprints. That's the one you actually do want to make sure you're being educated by someone who is skillful. Because mm. you don't want to just go into like impact play or shibari without knowing yeah. what are the dangers, what are the things I need to be aware of. So they're the type of people that we get up on this panel discussion and that way we can hear their individual journeys on mm. where they were, what was their relationship to pleasure and how did they find nice. where they are now. When's your next discussion? I haven't set that one up because oh, on cool. a different... I'll keep an eye for that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so on a different um, spectrum, I also am an actor or actress, I should say, and we're touring for six months now that the borders are open, so we got oh, okay. accepted to Edinburgh and Brighton. And That's amazing. Congratulations. So, yeah. so we'll, be, we'll be touring for a little bit, but I'll be back like September and hit the ground running with cool. blueprints and archetypal alchemy stuff. Nice, nice. And um, archetypal alchemy, sorry. <laughs> um, how, how do you work with that and what is that exactly? And so there's a, there's a couple of divisions of it. So I believe... Um, both the structure and, and non-structure is important in dance. And there's some incredible um, research behind this by um, a dance psychologist called Peter Lovett. And it goes into, um, so the structure side of things, I teach women typically over like seven weeks, um, seven different routines based on seven different feminine archetypes. So we start at the root chakra, um, and I have a male equivalent to these as well. Yeah, okay. So um, the root chakra, so we're in combining um, archetypes and the chakra system. So base is wild woman or wild man. So we look at primal movements. I infuse things like dance hall and getting really like chaotic and, mm. and just like feisty with our movement. And so there's an emotion attached to each of them as well. So this one is like, how do we reclaim um, that fiery element of ourselves, yeah. that feisty element of ourselves? Then we come up to the second chakra, which is the lover. Um, and so for women, we typically do a little bit more of like, uh, I'm a burlesque dancer as well, so burlesque or sensual movement. Mm. It's a lot more slow, it's soft, it's really dropping into the body. Um, so then that's what's our relationship to pleasure. Mm. Then we come up to third, so huntress or warrior for, for males. And that's how do we move with power and purpose? Mm. So we look at like our movement types is like it's a lot more angular, it's a lot more structured. And so we look at the biomechanics between each of the different movements as well. Mm. Um, then we come up to mother or father, and that's our compassion. That's mm. our, our connection and our softness with others. Um, I infuse like contemporary dance and storytelling into that. Okay. So we're a lot more like flowy um, mm. in our movement. 
voice, um, which is the uh, fifth chakra, is is inner child. Okay. And this is because one. Kids don't have a filter. They just say mm. things as they are. But when we come into our dance and our movement, it's how do we create play and curiosity? Mm. Um, I'll bring more in like jazz and Charleston and like very like uplifting, playful, high vibe type yeah. type um, music. Um, and then uh, third eye is priestess um, or magician for, for males. And this is more how do we create devotion through our movement how are we mm. really intentional and at the like complete surrender to something higher than ourselves yeah um then top is queen or king mm. and uh because of my background with drag queens i usually do this in heels so that's our heel mm. routine and so over these seven weeks the first hour of so we have two hours in the studio each week the first hour is based on the, the particular archetype that we are exploring that week. And then the second hour is the queen routine that we're actually working on over seven weeks. Wow. And then by the seventh week, we have a videographer come in, you get a professional video recording of it, um, and you get to like just showcase it. And we have a community day and um, wow. get to bring in others. So that's the main way that um, Archetypal Alchemy now expresses itself. However, it's been an evolution. So I've, I also take um, like five private clients at any given time, mm. and they may choose a particular archetype that they want to dive deeper into. So they choose a song, um, they choose the, the package of how many weeks they want to work with me. So typically it's three or five, depending on how long. Mm. If it's a performance piece that they, so um, whether it's like for a hen's day or whether it's just for a partner, mm. they might want longer or shorter. Um, and so I choreograph a routine specific to their desires, specific to the archetype that they want and to whatever song that they want. Would you do weddings as well? Like, I haven't done weddings yet, but yeah, okay. I'm definitely very intrigued. I've had um, people consult me mm. for weddings of, of how to create like authentic connection through dance. Mm. Um, but yeah, definitely down the track, I'd be awesome. very intrigued in that that side of things. Um, and then what's coming, so that's the structural side of archetypal alchemy. Mm. Then in terms of the like unstructured side of things, um, it's starting to move into like ecstatic dances. Mm. And that's where we can work through that framework, starting at the base, looking at those different emotions and working our way up, collabing with DJs to actually take people on a journey of Activating all parts of themselves, or um, I really resonate with um, uh, five rhythms, and it's really been a beautiful. It's a, um, a dance meditation that uh, that Gabriel Roth made, and um, it it can be used as a tool for self investigation. So hers is more like um, you know, there's feminine movements, there's masculine movements, there's chaos, lyrical, and stillness, oh, wow. and so there's um, a particular um, soundtrack that can be played and you can just start to like freeform dance mm. and see if certain music is really easy or maybe there's stagnation or you don't want yeah. to um, and so similarly my my aim would be to create spaces within the dance or ecstatic dance realm where people can explore where they're at with a particular archetype at any mm. given moment what was that track called again that thing you said that you like to Five rhythms? Five rhythms, yeah. Yeah. Write that down. Yeah, yeah. 
I've, yeah, I've explored so many things. That's why I'm like, I'm getting to where I am now. And I'm drawing from so many things that I've learned from so mm. many different like areas in life to really get, like I, I started archetypal dance good four years ago, but it's only now that I feel really consolidated in what I offer and how it taps into many different like mind, body, emotion, mm. soul, um, and really, really come back at 120%, which is wow. very exciting. Um, and then the last bit, uh, which actually this is going to be the first time publicly announcing it, so you get it on your podcast, um, yeah. is that there is um, a production occurring. So Alchemy will be a dance production um, which explores women's sensuality and sensuality through dance and all the different wow. feminine, feminine archetypes. Um, bring some poetry in there, bring spoken word into there, bring movement, dance, like a aerials. production. Yeah, it'll be a, wow. a, a fringe production. So Beautiful, that's epic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So very, very excited for that one. I come from a background of uh, fringe performing mm. for the last couple of years. So, um, yeah, very, very excited to kind that's of epic, yeah. Yeah, bring, bring that into a, um, a space of performance and being witnessed as well. Because yeah. I really believe that there's potency in both doing this work behind closed doors, doing it for yourself, and then there's another part that's also, can I bring my gift of what I've explored, and this can be for anyone, and allow others to witness that, because that can actually be a beautiful mm. gift to give someone else. Of course, yeah, what a beautiful thing to do in this lifetime is to learn and then perform in yep. such a manner like that. If anyone who joined your, your programs or courses would have a memory for the rest of their life to look back on, yeah. they'd be so proud of themselves to get on the stage and do that because that's epic takes a lot of courage as well yeah you mentioned on your instagram yes <laughs> the awareness of your shadows can unlock greater pleasure yes yeah how does that work and how are the two in interlinked so um i mean there's there's different ways of looking at shadows so sometimes it can be our unconscious and what we're not actually aware of so specifically i look at the um the blueprints for this and as we started mentioning each of those different blueprints have um like a shadow and when we can actually really acknowledge that all of us are going to have shadows like mm. we're humans like but instead of shadows being something that take us takes us away from pleasure we can capitalize and use it to grow and learn and go another layer deeper within intimacy. Mm. So for an energetic, it's acknowledging that maybe you could be really bad at setting boundaries. And so by firstly acknowledging it, it's like, cool, well, I know where my work is. Maybe I need to get more comfortable with saying no to other people and I can mm. set a challenge for myself for the next month. I'm gonna, you know, rather than those those decisions where I'm hovering and saying maybe or yes, mm. I'm going to say no Beautiful. and actively bring that into your conscious awareness. Um, for essential, it's going, wow, okay, I'm going to get more thrown off by external circumstances or I've created unrealistic expectations of who I'm supposed to be for someone else or who someone else is supposed to be for me. Mm. And so it could be acknowledging what are all the expectations I've I've put on myself or I've put on another person and create an intimate conversation with someone of like, hey, I just want to take accountability for the fact that I've, you know, been really resentful for you because you haven't given me massages every night or whatever your, your equivalent is. Sounds like me, yeah. 
Yeah, <laughs> so so it's it's about that re- like reclamation of like, oh, this is a shadow of me that's going to turn up in my life, and mm. it's not that by having this one conversation, it's going to rewire it. It's, it's, you're going to have to keep having those conversations over and over again. Yeah. Um, for your your sexual, it's um, you know in those moments, say you're having like an intimate session with a partner, and um, they're like, okay, I'm sleeping now, I want to go go to bed, and there's like this like really deep sense of like failure or a wounding there rather than you know some people going to shut down and just be like oh I'm a terrible lover or you know there's so many different stories there it can just be you know creating more compassion for oneself Mm. or being able to learn and listen to someone else of maybe they are just wanting a massage tonight maybe um, I need to you know relinquish the expectation of um yeah, needing to, to orgasm or ne- needing to, mm. to come or a partner come. Um, it could also be because uh, sometimes the sexual, because they are so visually stimulated, maybe you're looking at like porn every single day and it's mm. taking you out of the experience of being able to rewire what pleasure is. So it could be the shadow of like, wow, okay, I am a- addicted to visual stimulus maybe for the next month. I'm not looking at porn or I'm not going to like ejaculate or whatever the equivalent is for you. For a female, it's can I give up my vibrator for the next month rather than Mm. going to these quick like I know I'm going to come from it. Can I relinquish that? Mm. Um, And then for your kink, um, it could be looking at how much shame and guilt is actually still holding me back from being able to ask for what I want and can I one there's about it has to be safety and there has to be um you know a a person that's going to hold you and not judge you for your request so I don't want to say to someone just go and start asking for you you know your kinky desires because if it's not met with receptivity that Mm. can cause someone to go more into shutdown which can be really really confronting so it might be just taking the, the baby steps of going, hey, I'm really nervous to share this with you because I'm feeling like there's going to be judgment in advance. Like I want to create a space that if there is judgment that, you know, we, you know, you can acknowledge yeah. that just so because I'm going to feel it. Even if you say, oh, there's no judgment, but you are feeling it, have that authenticity. And so then you can start to unpack it together. A lot of the time I will typically find that someone will express what they're kink desire is and the other partner's like oh that's interesting like Mm. and so it's about telling the other person what kink means for them because as I mentioned kink is whatever's taboo for you Mm. so if you're just saying I'm kinky without explaining what kink is for you uh, you know people will make all sorts of stories and judgments in advance so it's creating the vulnerability of going cool I I need to look or explore um, communicating this with other people Mm. How would you recommend going about doing that? Like, is there any sort of pre-framing or things you could do to have that conversation with a partner? Because I know mm. I've heard some stories of people who have been married for a very long time and um, they still won't actually voice what they want or what they do and don't like to their partners. I heard this one story from a psychologist of mine who was saying that she had a couple she worked with for like 30 years. They were married for 30 years. She worked with them on one session and she was just getting them to express what it is they appreciate about the person and what yeah. it is they want to obviously work on. And... For them, they they look they both looked like they saw ghosts. It was a very hard time for them to explain and speak mm. up. And the woman started crying and said, "I wish you'd touch me softer." And she was 
she just had such a problem with expressing her boundaries. It took 30 years just to say that because she was afraid of offending him. And yep. I'm like, whoa, that's a lot of built up emotion over so, so long. And he even cried as well. He's like, I wish I'd, I knew. Yeah. Because you know? ultimately yeah. in a relationship, you want to give pleasure to the other person. Mm. Um, and it's one of those areas that we actually don't actively ask for feedback. Mm. So any feedback that we get, we, we take quite personally. Yeah, um, sure. And so one of the first things that I do with people once they know and understand the framework is we do what's called sex labs. Mm. And so these are containers external to having sex. You want to make sure that they're, they're separate. Yeah. You create a time frame. So it's like, cool, for 20 minutes, we're just focusing on, on your pleasure and we're exploring your body. Um, and then you can flip over, uh, swap over afterwards. Mm. But it's about trying different touch styles. And that's for even for oneself, relinquishing any expectation of what you think you like and allowing the body to tell you what you like. Wow. Because I had that experience. Um, I, was, I was very, very like sensitive growing up. I started yoga when I was like seven. Um, I was only dating women until I was mid-20s. So it, it would stereotypically be more energetic and sensual mm. touch. And so in mid-20s, I started um, dating men as well. And I went to a workshop that was around different touch styles. It wasn't the blueprints, but um, I could see how there'd be similarities. Mm. And it was the first time that I was scratched and I just started giggling because there was just this rush of excitement. And I was like, wait a minute. And now that I look at it, I'm like, well, of course I was like, you know, I came out um, saying that I was gay when I was 16 and Mm. we're talking like 15, 16, I don't know how old am I, Um, you know, a long time ago. And so it wasn't so much in our culture to actively and openly say that you are interested in the same sex. Mm. And so that's an element of taboo. So, of course, if I was kinky wired, I was going into that. And so actually there was, I wasn't giving myself time and space to try the different kink touches as well. But in hindsight now, I'm like, oh, that makes sense. Mm. So, yeah, I... I, It took a few years to get to the the whole scratching thing. Yeah. 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 Um, So, yeah, so I was... So, what I would say to couples, and I usually give when I'm... So, I can do coaching. I do couples coaching or you do workshops. Mm. Um, I will give people... It's like an 11-page, maybe even longer, document that goes through all these different activities based on the different um, blueprints so that you can go through and there's one column for you, so to receiving and one for giving. And it's want to do, will do, don't want to do. Okay. And so with every activity, you think about it from the mindset of like receiving and giving it. Do I want to do it? Do I, will I do it? Especially if my partner's interested, mm. interested in it or like that's a no. Mm. And I find, again, like similar to, to that story that you shared, I've had couples who have been together a long time, as they start to work through this worksheet, mm. they'll get to a point and they'll be like, you don't like that? I have no idea. Like, but when you set up a space of like you're mm. creating a space for feedback, you're both getting to a mindset of curiosity. And so the, the, the feedback, although there might, like emotions might come up, yeah. There's also a receptivity versus I wouldn't encourage like midway through having sex being like, oh, yeah, by the way, I don't like biting like or like whatever it is your equivalent is. It's just like what that's they're going to go into shutdown because that's a really vulnerable state. Like you're giving everything to someone in that moment Mm. of intimacy. So creating containers that are actively about 
exploring each other's body and it can be different parts as well so um, like for for males you can um, activate the the nipple area again and put a mm. timer on get your partner to just be playing with like nipples mm. and just seeing what emotions come up what resistances come up you know but when you know that there's a set timer of like cool we're spending five minutes exploring that mm. the mind can kind of go okay this is not permanent I can just see what arises. True, yeah. And likewise for any body part, any sensation. Um, but it's about creating what's the feedback. So it can either be like numbers, it can be full dialogues and actually talking through what the sensations actually feel. Mm. Um, it can be traffic light systems, also a good one. So um, green is, I love this, um, like yellow or amber is like, uh, it's an edge keep going but it's it's hovering and yeah. the reds like stop immediately okay mm. yeah so that one's um, a common one with that document though mm. I can see a shadow side to this if you were dating someone or married to someone who has, has a kink mm. uh, type it's like you're no list if you're like I want to do everything on that list because <laughs> they're a kink and that's taboo right yeah have you ever seen that happen with like people who look at that like oh they want what they can't have so to speak Ooh. <laughs> So, oh, I could talk into multiple aspects. So there's one part of it, like sometimes um, this can be a, a shadow side is like, and mm. you can see this in singles as well, that they will go for emotionally unavailable people yeah. because it's a kink and it's like a, a taboo. Is it a kink? Well, it's a, it's a taboo. Like, it's like I can't well, okay. have someone, so I'm yeah. going to want them more. Like rejection breeds obsession, Tony Robbins always, always says. So. Yeah. Kind of makes sense. So sometimes that can be just a shadow expression of the kink and so it's like mm. cool well are there other taboos that i can tap into which can feed that blueprint without doing it in a like an, a mm. negative or impactful way because we don't ever want our actions to be at the cost of someone else or impacting someone else yeah, negatively yeah, so instead and when we go into like a, a marriage um scenario say a partner does have kink it's like uh, so say how they're having like fantasies maybe of someone else external to the relationship or the marriage mm. um like that can be that you know it's more on the side of adultery if we're not openly talking about it versus if we open it up to the conversation just being like you know would you be interested in a threesome like i know, I know lots of marriages that like y your sexuality doesn't have to like close off as soon as you're married like mm. if you're open and you want to bring other people into like the bedroom that can still be celebrated mm. as long as like both parties are doing it for the right reason rather than trying to fix something but more of a like curious adventure that you're going on together um uh or it could be um trying another like physical sensation so um, for males it could be maybe exploring butt play if you haven't mm. done that that could be a kink or an edge for you um, or going more into the fantasy erotica maybe you start reading erotica to each other and that feeds that um, especially if it's about external people it's like maybe you get your partner to read an erotica mm. about um, you know, being with another woman or, you know, there's yeah, so many true. like alternative ways that we mm. can get that need met that doesn't impact your partner in a negative way, but true. it enrolls them into the desire and makes them feel a part of the adventure. Beautiful. Now it can go in one of two ways. Obviously the partner can then be like, no, I'm not interested in, in like um, feeding that, which is also valid. Mm. Um, so it could be, is there something else that you can explore together? So it might be let's, 
not focus on the kink blueprint for a bit maybe you're both like really intrigued to explore the sensual and so you go more into the sensual um we could be blindfolding each other yeah, so and you could, like role play the five different blueprints so to speak yeah, yeah. You, you could definitely like That's so cool. i do um with my partner we do um every three months we do something called cheeky check-in um and <laughs> you know that sounds cool yeah and i mean there's a whole the gratitude we start with gratitude so i think you it's a potent thing of yeah. being able to have those set points where you can openly express gratitude and receive gratitude from a partner um but then we go into like individual goals um couple goals we also talk into is there as a relationship a particular blueprint that we want to explore more in the next couple of months and so we might theme date nights around particular mm. blueprints we might go back to we have the 11 page document as well go yeah. you know is there an activity that we've been saying that we want to do that we want to action over the next like three months um, and so that way you can, yeah, you can theme date nights around it. You can like explore together. There's, you know, there's Beautiful. so much you can do. I have a question for you. Yes. Um, what was your biggest obstacle in becoming who you are today and the work that you do? <sighs> oh gosh. Um, hmm. That's part of like, like self-belief. Ultimately, I think everything is a relationship to oneself. Mm. Um, and so self-belief would be like one of those big things because it's so easy to fall into the trap of like comparison or if someone else is already doing something that I can't then do something. And instead using the external world to bring us back internally to go, what are the unique gifts? What are the experiences that I've gone through in my life that allow my particular flavor to come through? Mm. And there's a confidence that starts to ripple out when you're just being you and I think I grew up for a long time thinking that I needed to be someone else other than what I was like I followed um, the expectations of society I you know I went through eating disorders and thought there was something wrong like with my my body or how I looked and mm. you know it was very much a, um, a process of going well how do I just love myself and love the unique gifts that I I bring to the table and trust that the people that resonate with me as an individual will come to me because it's an expression of authenticity rather than because mm. the other thing that can happen is you can start to get success but if you're being someone else that you think that you're supposed to be you can't receive the like the impact that you're having on other people True. versus if you're like wow I actually genuinely really love myself now and I, I feel like I've gotten to a point now I have my days but like I can genuinely wholeheartedly be like wow I am proud of what I've achieved in my life I'm proud of who I am I'm proud of how I show up for other people mm. And so I think it's only now that my, my job, my career is really reflecting that because there's a deeper trust in myself now. Beautiful. I love how you have that blueprint where you just go back to the extrinsic and intrinsic motivation mm. again, where you're talking about whether it was um, self-doubt or imposter syndrome, but saying, going back to within, like, what do I want to do? What are my experiences telling me, regardless of the external? For me, that just clicked in my head because I look out in the world and think, I want to do certain things. I'm like, someone's already doing it. So... I don't want to take up their space or get involved. I'm like, what am I doing? If I'm yep. suited for it, just go within. Yep. So I love that. that and there's that so many people played. in this world that we forget. Mm. Like you could be doing like, like breath work, so yoga. Or, you know, you see yoga, there's like so many yoga teachers. Mm. Everyone has their own particular style of doing it. Um, everyone has 
uh, like a particular audience that's best suited for the way that they deliver it or the style that they deliver. Mm. And so likewise, whether it's like dance, blueprints, like sexuality, anything that people will come to you because they feel resonant with the way that you deliver things. And if you have done the work yourself, like I really believe whatever modality you do, if you've fully surrendered yourself into that process, it's like it's unshakable because you have the felt experience of of what you're then teaching and i think that's what makes a good teacher is they can be intellectual concepts which guide the mind but there's also felt experiences that you can emotionally then relate to other people with true now what was an experience that you've had or an idea or even a conversation that really changed your life and your life direction do you remember anything that comes to mind Hmm. Leading more towards a conversation. Conversation. Well, my mind went in two ways. I feel like we have already touched on, like, the conversations that I had with my parents and my PhD supervisors and Mm. everyone like that, being like, I don't know if I want to finish the PhD. I don't know what reasons I'm doing it. That was definitely one part because I was just met with so much love and so mm. much like support. You know, everyone was like, they ultimately want me to be happy. Yeah. It's, and you know, the generation before, there is a part of um, like safety or financial abundance that comes from education. Like mm. that's the way that they were grown up. I mean, today's society is so different yeah. um, and, and moving and changing, but for them that was a reality. So the fact that I had a safety net now of having a degree behind, they're like, I'm an extremism, so like uh, extremist. So it's like, yeah. I'm not just gonna do a, a degree, I'm gonna do a PhD, like and be at uni for Fair 10 enough. years. Um, so that was definitely one part, but in terms of an action which has changed my life, It was definitely, I mentioned very briefly that I went through like eating disorders. Mm. Um, And there was one action that I did, which was in London um, when the Liberators were touring. So I was with Pate and and two other other, um, friends, Jono and, and Elliot. And I created a social experiment. It was one of those moments where I think I was in meditation in a very, very clear vision came through and it was that I blindfolded myself in Piccadilly Circus in London and I stripped down to my underwear with a sign saying, I'm standing for anyone who's gone through an eating disorder or self-esteem issue like me. Draw Mm. a love heart on my body to support self-acceptance. Wow. And for me, that was one of the first actions that I took because before that point, like I went years and years without telling anyone that I'd gone through both bulimia and, and what anorexia people could see later on, but bulimia for a long, long period of time without anyone knowing. And so it was this shadow side of me that I was keeping to myself, but also robbing me from any authentic connection with other people. Because there was this little lie that I felt like I was holding onto all of the time. Mm. And it was the first dance that I took that was like, I'm not broken just because I've had this experience occur mm. to me before. Um, it doesn't mean that I'm broken, but instead I can pave a new pathway and I can make a stand for myself and other people that are going through similar experiences and saying, hey, like there is another way out. There's another way to love ourselves. Mm. And I just remember most, of, I was there for about 45 minutes in Piccadilly Circus. I was crying most of it. Like, wow. But it was one of those moments where I was like, 
I really felt the impact of vulnerability and how much that inspires other people to be vulnerable and to be courageous as well. And mm. after that action, that like stemmed a whole heap of different things. Like the dance that I do, yes, it's um, about um, like sisterhood and exploring the chakras and dance, but ultimately it's about creating confidence in yourself and trusting mm. your body, just like these actions move into it like a body image is something that typically comes up in dance as well as mm. is as a limiting belief and and so we start to acknowledge that through dance same as the pleasure and the blueprints it's mm. it's if we can't accept ourselves in our body first like how how can we get the things in, that we want and desire so for me that was the first like reclamation of um my past isn't my weakness it's it's my power and it's my path. And Beautiful. yeah, and, and being courageous can sometimes look very different. And it's not about confidence, it's being authentic. Mm. What advice would you give to people who are dealing with um, things like shame and, and self-expression, whether through dance or sexuality, or just in general, just really struggling to mm. break out of that mold that sort of they've been living in? It's, it's so common. Like, um, so the first thing, it's the, the one thing you don't want to do when you're in that mindset, mm. but reaching out. Like yeah. community is such a big, big part of like shifting those mindsets. Um, there's an experiment. I can't remember the actual name of the experiment, but it's with rats. And they have these rats in a cage and they have the water and they lace it. I'm pretty sure it's with cocaine. cocaine. Yeah. yeah. And they lace it with it and they find that the rats pretty much just drink this water laced with coke until they starve themselves to death Whoa. versus when they put these rats in this kind of like playground of you know other rats or you know there's um like wheels and things for them to interact with mm. they're so mesmerized by everything else every so often they'll come and and get a little bit of the water but they don't starve themselves mm. and uh, obviously there's different physiology to a rat we can't directly relay like humans because mm. we're so complex but there is something to be said when we're going into those mindsets it's like how do i bring more play into my life mm. um me and my partner run um workshops of the power of play and we look at the mm. different ways that we can actually play and bring more curiosity into our life as well and so play can either be done individually or it can be in a group mm. and then authentically sharing with another person what's actually going on because then you're not just stewing on things just by yourself i will say sometimes it's about enrolling someone who's trained and professional so like getting a, a counselor if your friends and family aren't in a headspace to be able to hold that for you which mm. is also completely um valid for them as well yeah. if they're not in a space to be able to really hold that for you get someone else that can be that vault that you can just offload everything that's what they're trained to do Mm. and then create that clear space because they can navigate um, some of the psychological thoughts and the doubts and, and things like that um, and create an action plan. Mm. Another thing I saw you post was talking about working with sexuality for self-development and growth. Mm. Um, we have already touched on that already, mm. but what were the main insights for that and how to work with that? Mm. So, so many good questions. <laughs> um, I believe our sexuality like affects so many parts of our life and communication in general. So the blueprints is mainly for relationships. Mm. But I've also noticed there's intimacy that arises 
in, in so many of the relationships that we have. So if I know um, a friend is an energetic, for example, like my posture is actually going to be more upright. I'm going to be more direct. I'm going to do a lot of eye contact. I'm going to minimize any distractions because there needs to be full presence. Mm. And that's how I'm going to feed them in my p- communication and interaction, even as a friend. If my friend's essential, I'm probably going to be cuddled up on the couch. It's going to be a lot more chilled. We're going to have yummy food together. It's, yeah. it's a very different way of relating. And so um, um, sexuals, it could be like being more direct with my language, like asking exactly what I want. Mm. Uh, so there's so many ways that we can start to incorporate that into our, our friendships, into our business, um, and realize that all of them have their medicine all of them have their like superpowers Mm. with it it's just learning to read what someone else needs in any given moment Mm. and then also what we need because we train people how we want to be communicated with Mm. and so if that's why i like self-knowledge and self-investigation if i get women to track their cycle and how the blueprints change throughout their cycle Mm. and so if i can then effectively go hey i'm coming up to like menstruating or bleeding like i'm going to be really really energetic my partner knows now i'm probably going to take most things really really personally and so he doesn't Mm. feel like um like he's a bad person because if i just shut down i'm really really emotional or start crying it's nothing to do with him it's probably like i'm just like really really sensitive so he knows what I need because I've been able to communicate through self-knowledge and self-investigation what I might need in any given moment. Mm. Now that can obviously like fluctuate and don't get me wrong, we're all still learning and there's like, even mm. with this knowledge, it's not, um, like me and Owen have been together a number of years now, it's like we're still learning things about how our different blueprints interact with one another and how they go mm. through different cycles. So it's more so we both have a shared language that allow us to actually communicate with one another or, or realize when miscommunication occurs. Okay. And even so with the woman's cycle, the, mm. their attraction will change where they are in the cycle and also the blueprint will change as well. Mm. Are there any ways to sort of tell that's happening if you're in a relationship with someone or a woman who's going through this to be able to tell which blueprint she's in or mm. where she's in a cycle to sort of adapt to that situation or be fulfill, help her fulfill her needs in any way? Yeah, great, great question. So it would be... So there's some of the shadows that can... So some people resonate mm. with the shadows with the blueprints. Like you can keep listening to the way that I articulate each of the blueprints or there's yep. incredible podcasts with Jaya as well. Mm. People will typically resonate with the shadows first because okay. we have more negative thoughts than we do positive they're thoughts. Spot, so and they're easier to spot. Yeah, yeah. So in that way, it could actually be looking at what things start to come up like throughout the cycle. Mm. Can you say something and all of a sudden it's just like you feel the shutdown and the like separation and like too much because mm. then you might be getting signs that maybe she's more energetic at certain certain yeah, times of yeah. her, her cycle um sensual it could be um it can either be positive so say that you know she's adorning herself some really beautiful things mm. being really like getting new oils for herself um or for oh it can be safe for a man as well like yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, if she's going really, really sensual, maybe she needs more like physical touch. So it can be sometimes taking the actions of maybe you offer to give her a, like a massage, mm. uh, even just a shoulder rub. And it could be speaking and be like, hey, I just want to give you a shoulder rub. No other expectations. I just want to give to you right now. Mm. Like, oh, sensual would just be like, cool, there's no expectations. So you fed directly into any doubt. Because sometimes it can be, 
I want to give you a massage. And then the, the whole time that you're giving the massage, their head could be like, oh, are they wanting sex right now? I don't want to go to sex right now. I'm, I just can't do it. I'm too stressed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Meanwhile, speaking into anything that could be a hold up for someone can be a way of relinquishing that. Beautiful. Um, sexual, I mean, you might just find that she's huge hard, like uh, hard, uh, huge <laughs> yeah. sex, sex drive, just like, cool, I'm ready to go. Like mm. needing minimal, she might be more lubricated, more wet more quickly, yeah. um, very visually stimulated. Uh, mm. It could be like more just being like naked, celebrating nudity. Um, me and my partner have done um, World Naked Gardening Day a couple of years oh, yeah. now. And it's nice. just like so fun just to be like, cool, we're just getting like naked in the garden Beautiful, for the day. Yeah, nice. All the vitamin D as well. Exactly. Yeah. Um, could be going out, um, going to the, the nude beach together for mm. a little day day on a certain time of the Perfect. cycle. Um, kink will be a little bit harder to spot um, mm. just because there aren't necessarily as, ma- as much like external telltale signs yeah. um, but it could be how someone then responds to certain touch so energetic really really light touch for some people if they start getting irritated you know they're not more energetically touch yeah. that time but then you might start to move to more like caressing mm. or like pressure and like um, holding and grounding touch for sensual mm. or if it's sexual it's like going straight seeing if like genital stimulation or nipple stimulation mm. Um, is well received or for for kink it could be yeah trying a, a scratch or a spank and mm. and seeing if the body responds or if it's like oh no that's not what I want or need right now True, yeah so sometimes the body will tell us as well um, but ultimately uh, creating a space where you encourage your partner to know what they want and need and not feel shame to be able to articulate what they want mm. and need like that's the foundation that's most important to start with rather than feeling like you need to hold accountability for someone else's pleasure. It's, it's just creating the space in the container for each person as individuals mm. to have permission to ask for what they want and need. Sometimes you're going to receive no, sometimes you're going to receive yes and knowing that that's just a part of, of relationships. All right, I have a final question for you. Yes. Um, this one is, if you could implant an idea into the collective consciousness that will be received by almost everybody, yes, or send a message out to the world population, yep. what do you think it would be? I know it because I've got a little tagline, um, oh, and it's create connection through curiosity. Mm. So I truly believe like our mind is a powerful tool, and we can see any scenario as soon as you put those like goggles or those lenses of like curiosity, everything else like changes. It's like mm. Yeah, there's, there's um, a lightness and an ease and a, a desire to go down the, the rabbit hole of yeah. whatever that experience is. Mm. So invite more curiosity into your play, into your life, and it will create more mm. connection. And play as well. And play, yeah. yeah. I'm a big one for play. <laughs> How can we really begin to see our belief systems in a, in a new way to really know mm. what's holding us back? And how do we go about changing them? Mm. Yeah, I did a leadership course when I was quite young because I've always been intrigued in psychology, NLP, all of that, uh, that stuff. So from a young age, it was very ingrained, like you don't know what you don't know. And sometimes the most confronting but also insightful things is going to the people in our life and asking what they see. So um, I did a, a course where I had to go to multiple people in my life. So I will say that these are people that I trust their opinion, don't go to just 
show blogs where you're just like, you know, you don't actually value yeah, yeah, their yeah. feedback. Mm. Go to people that you value their feedback. Um, and the questions that I asked was, um, what do you think my strengths are? What do you think my weaknesses are? What can you depend on me for? What can you not depend on me for? And mm. is there anything that you've ever wanted to say to me but haven't had the time, space, or like, um, like being limited to be able to say to me or bring up with wow. me? Um, it doesn't have to be, that, that can be like your own equivalent, but if it's about learning about yourself, like mm. having a think about what are the things that I wanna learn from someone else, um, preface it when you ask people, be like, hey, I value your opinion and I'm wanting to learn more about how I show up for other people because I mm. wanna be a bigger person in this world and I wanna make impact and I really value your feedback. So I wanna ask you a couple of questions and I want you to have the full space to be as authentic as you want to be. Um, if there's particular memories that come up, share them so that we can dive into it together. And I found like I found some most fascinating things. Like I said, I asked my mom, my dad, my partner at the time, like friends. Some of them were like really, really deep, and it gave you such an appreciation for how much some people in our life really like observe and they really take in um, about us. And also, if they've known us for a long time how much they witness in the growth because sometimes it's hard to know how much we've grown as a person. True. But then it's sometimes also clearing space for even the small things. Like one friend um, was just like, when we got to the last question, they were like, hey, it's not a big thing, but I, I just have to acknowledge it. It's like every time we go to hang out, you're running like five, ten minutes late. Like, and uh, like uh, I, I, I kind of take it a little bit personally. And it's, it's funny because, um, like, I was so, I grew up being very, very, like, type A personality, very almost goody two-shoes, like, always on time. And it was just for this one particular person, even though I was running late today, um, but there's <laughs> a, um, I think maybe it is a story coming up, um, but for this one particular person, it was a story that kept happening I could be on time for every single other person and so I have a belief system that you know I'm, mo I'm mostly on time but for this one person if they're always getting it it's like they're creating a story of like oh Jay doesn't really respect my time or this and that and so then I'm primed and it brings me into my conscious awareness of like I'm so sorry like I didn't realize that I will make sure that I'm more accountable with my time anytime that we're hanging out and making sure that I'm early for anything that we're doing. So that kind of shifted from that unconscious to this conscious so that I could be a better person for another person. Because at the end of the day, we are community beings and we interact with our, with each other. And so the impact that we have on other people is really how we learn and grow True. about ourselves. I have the opposite scenario because a lot of friends of mine will be late sometimes showing up or do different events and then yeah. I'd spend more time with them get to know them. I'm like, oh, they did, really didn't. I took it pretty personally, but I found out it's not personal at all. Like, no. They've just got their own things going on. They get distracted. That's the kind of people that they are. Yeah. And I took a lot of peace for me to realize that too, to stop taking things so personally because it's not, not intentionally trying to annoy you. It's just that yeah. life happens. But, yeah. 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 Absolutely. Beautiful. Amazing. Look at the last question. That was an excellent answer. <laughs> one. Yeah. <laughs> oh, good. I, yeah, I love all these questions and self-investigation. Beautiful. Well, that's a wrap. Hey, thank you so much for coming down. Oh, pleasure. We've gone down to so lots of different yeah. journeys. This is great.